I think as human beings, we're built to our core to serve and help others, to love and care for each other. I believe that. And so in the fire service, we're blessed. We have an opportunity that every day we get to get out into the public and help these individuals that are in deep distresses in a, in a, a very difficult time and express our love for them and care for them and help them. That inner satisfaction that we get is such a blessing that through the years, yes, we have difficulties. Yes, we face situations with PTSD and things like that. But there's such a core satisfaction. When I think back on my career and the people that I helped, all I think about is wanting to help them again. I want to see them again. I want to see how they're doing, how their families are. And, and, and I'm happy to do that. So I believe that the core of helping individuals is what makes firefighters so happy about what they do. Hey everyone, welcome back to Purpose Works, a podcast by Handprint, where we explore the future of work through conversations with bright minds and bold leaders using business as a force for good, and ask what it will take to build a more just and sustainable economy. Today's conversation focuses on leadership. Strong leadership is truly the backbone of success in any company across every industry. Becoming a great leader is a journey. It is about so much more than a title. Leadership skills are not something that we're born with. They are something we develop over time. To become a great leader requires intention, dedication, discipline, and deep humility. This journey is the focus of today's conversation. I got to sit down with John Cuomo, a firefighter and paramedic with more than 20 years of experience in the fire service. John served as an engineer, lieutenant, and captain, and then he went on to serve as EMS chief, battalion chief, and training chief. He shares lessons from all of these experiences and more in his book, Leadership Refined by Fire, a firefighter's guide to develop leadership skills, motivate and inspire others, and deliver exceptional care for the public. But don't let the title fool you. This book is not just for those who choose to bravely serve as firefighters. I read John's book, and I can personally say that the leadership lessons and advice in these pages are widely applicable valuable for anyone stepping into a leadership or management role or wanting to simply improve their leadership skills. It's truly a reader-friendly manual for how to become an exceptional and effective leader, full of stories that are both exciting and inspiring, many of which he touches on today. I hope you enjoy our conversation. John, welcome to PurposeWorks. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you here today. Thank you, Mary, so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm, and I'm grateful to be here with you. So, John, let's just start off. I'd love to hear about your journey, your journey to become a firefighter, a little bit about your time in the fire service, and how and why this inspired your interest in leadership. Well, you know, I I didn't have a normal journey into the fire service like you hear a lot of maybe young people um, talk about how they want to be a firefighter ever since they were a little kid. That wasn't my situation. I was in high school and I got a job in the electrical field. I was an electrician apprentice and it was actually a recession that caused me to start looking around. The, the, the job started going down to only four days a, w- a week of work and then we didn't have benefits and I knew I wanted a family one day. So I just started applying at different government jobs to get those benefits and that security. Um, I didn't know much about the fire department except that they put out fires. That's all you know. I knew. But every job I went to and applied, like if the phone company, the electric company, the post office, every time I would ask individuals there, how do you like the job? What do you think of the job? What is the special parts of the job? Everybody hated their job. Everybody. 
except when I asked firefighters. When I would talk to a firefighter, they all said, every one of them said they loved their job. And so I thought there was something there. <clears throat> so I followed with that. You know, I kept going forward with that. And I took some tests and I got into uh, a fire department and I made it past several testing, the physical, the um, psychological, and then the written. And at the written, I mean, at the um, oral interview, they said to me, look, we really like you, but you have to go get your own schooling, which I didn't understand. So I went down to the fire department and I asked those guys and they said, yes, you got to go get your own training, the fire, fire academy and then EMT training. And so I did that. And when I went to the fire academy, I absolutely fell in love. I, I knew right then and there, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. There was nothing going to stop me. I, I, I got rid of all the other applications and I just pressed forward with this is what I wanted. And so when I entered the fire service, I was on cloud nine. You know, this, when I finally got hired, it took two and a half years. It was very competitive. Um, I just thought this was the most amazing thing. And, you know, like any job, there were ups and downs. And I was young. I was immature. I was only 21, fresh 21 when I got hired. You know, I didn't know a lot about life. Um, and so I made some mistakes along the way. But I opened up my book with, with a scenario that happened where I had to run onto the beach for my officer to take care of a situation. Um, and upon running up the beach to find out what it was, we had gotten a call for something that floated up on the beach. And that was common. Uh, where I worked, we had 13 miles of beachfront. So there were constantly things floating up on the beach. We would respond. There'd be a barrel or there'd be, you know, some strange things and we'd just take care of it. So my officer stayed at the engine. He said, John, just go find out what it is. So I ran down the beach and I went up on this thing and it ends up being what looked like a missile. And here I was, you know, I was like two or three years into the service. And I was like, what do I do? I had no idea. I was terrified. So I call back my officer. He thinks I'm making it up. So I'm, by the time he comes, I'm, I'm, I'm having to figure out to take care of the people. And I just realized at that moment that this job is very big. Even if I'm not in charge, <clears throat> and excuse me, my voice, I lost it a little bit. I got uh, a bit of a cold. Um, even if I'm not in charge of the crew, when I come upon a scene, the people expect me as the firefighter mm. to know what I'm doing and take care of them. And so this began a long road for me of getting involved in leadership and figuring out how to become a leader as a firefighter, how to become an officer eventually, because I really wanted to take a crew and help people. That I fell in love with doing that. Um, I would work for some officers, and I didn't like the way that they handled the dignity of some of the patients that we ran mm. upon. Because where we work, you have to be not only a firefighter, but you have to be a paramedic as well. So we did all the medical calls as well. And I didn't feel comfortable with some of the way that some of the uh, officers treated, dignified the individuals we, we ran upon. I felt that we could do a better job. I felt that uh, we can go above and beyond. So I was very interested in helping um, others as firefighters progress. So that began my role. I started studying and reading books and trying really to learn how to be a better firefighter and a better officer. Very interesting. Um, jumping back to what you were saying about the firefighters that you spoke to loving their job, I'm curious if they gave any specifics as to what they loved about it, and if, if you think that there's a correlation there between the weight of the responsibility um, and the service and what they loved, or if you think it's something, something different. There's a lot of really good things about the fire service. There's like a family atmosphere and it doesn't always exist. Sometimes it's not there, but 
when you go into battle with something that's life-threatening, those that you're in battle with, you, you create a bond with them and then you come back. So you'll go fight a fire and it's a very difficult situation. It's exhausting and it's stressful. When you come back to the station and you get cleaned up, there's something strange. This bond develops between you and these other human beings that you were just with. And they become your brothers and sisters in, in depth. And there's, there's neat things like that. You eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. You get to know their families. Uh, you become part of their families. We're all, you know, um, each other's family members. We know their kids when they're born. We watch them grow up, go to, to school, go to high school, go to college, get married. You know, you see this generation all the way through. Those are neat things. But I have to tell you, in my opinion, being in the fire service, the key to the happiness that they all felt was the service. I think as human beings, we're built to our core to serve and help others. Now, you may have heard the saying, the Bible saying, there's more happiness in giving than there is in receiving. Now, we've all felt that, you know, you go and if you have a loved one, you, you give them something, you feel really good about their reaction. You've been waiting to give that to them. You can see the happiness. It makes you feel great. Even if they give you something, it doesn't touch the way you feel when you satisfy the need that they wanted. Now, if you stop and think, we're just animals, human beings, we're just animals, that really shouldn't be the case. When an animal satisfies itself, it's satisfied. It doesn't matter if you eat something, it's there to just satisfy itself. So we as human beings have something different. And our core is to love and care for each other. I believe that. And so in the fire service, we're blessed. We have an opportunity that every day we get to get out into the public and help these individuals that are in deep distresses in a, in a very difficult time and express our love for them and care for them and help them. <clears throat> and I think that that inner satisfaction that we get is such a blessing that through the years, yes, we have difficulties. Yes, we face situations with PTSD and things like that. But there's such a core satisfaction, Marin. When I think back in my career and the people that I helped, all I think about is wanting to help them again. I want to see them again. I want to see how they're doing, how their families are. And, and, and I'm happy to do that. So I believe that even though there's many other positives, as I outlined, I believe the core of helping individuals, it makes, is what makes firefighters so happy about what they do. Hmm. Beautiful answer. I definitely think that there's a connection between service and feeling a higher purpose in your work. So after two decades of leadership, you've, you've written a book, Leadership Refined by Fire. Um, before we get into the details there, do you want to share anything about what inspired you to do that and to make it uh, almost like a leadership manual of sorts? Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, so as I said to you before, I saw these deficiencies in some of the people that I worked for, some of the officers that I was, uh, that I was under, and I saw the responsibility that we were handed. We can walk into someone's house and we can treat a patient. Now, you would never know by my treatment that I wasn't really doing the full treatment right, according to what we were supposed to do. But I would know and the crew would know. And so at times I would see individuals and, and you're like, what? that's not what we're supposed to be doing. And even if they were following things by the rules, dignify the patient, you know, treat them with some respect, treat them with some care, leave them feeling better about themselves than before when you got there. And so these were some of the things. And on top of that, I saw officers at times, because when you're a fire officer, you lead a crew. Your decisions affect that crew members 
life at times. You're telling them to go and fight this fire or go and do this thing. And if you don't know what you're doing, you could be putting their life on the line. Now, that person has a husband or a wife. They have children, possibly. They have a mother, a father, or siblings that are, are counting on this individual to come home. And so you're not only affecting them, you're affecting a wide range of other individuals. So I saw that and I saw the importance of, of leadership, how important it was. So I began in my career trying to figure out how to be a better leader for myself. I would write notes down. I would read books. I would take certain courses. I would watch and study other officers and see how they handled certain things, what worked, what didn't work. Things that I read, I would try to apply and see how those things worked. And I realized that this could really help, especially when I became an officer and I started applying some of the things. And I, I saw the drastic change in some firefighters once I was applying some of these things. And I thought to myself, wow, everyone, I wish I had a book like this, as you brought out a manual that said, when you run into this, you handle it this way. This, look for it this way. To help me through right from the beginning, because I made so many mistakes. And that's that's what the title is about. It's leadership refined by fire. It's about me. I was refined. My leadership was fine as a 21-year-old kid who made so many mistakes along the way, um, did dumb things, said dumb things, didn't know what I was doing at times, you know, inexperienced. Um, I wish I had something like this. So I decided to start putting it together based on some of my experiences and many of the things that I learned just as a help because I love the fire service and I would love to help others in the fire service benefit in any way I can possibly do. Beautiful. So um, admittedly, I have never, never been part of the fire service despite having deep respect for, for you and what you, um, what you all do. But I do think that there's real leadership lessons in this book that extend far beyond just the world of firefighting. Um, yes. And one of, one of the first points you make in your book, Leadership Refined by Fire, is that stepping into any leadership role, regardless of industry, comes with change and requires a change in that individual. You've just, you've just spoken a lot about your own personal journey, but tell me more about that and what you mean, what you think that means for other people. I, I feel like there's so little management or leadership training out there in the world. Um, yeah, just curious yes, about that. Yes, I, I agree with I agree with you. Um, it, it It's an interesting dynamic when you work in a business. First, yes, I agree the book can apply to any business and even not just business at home. I, I routinely mentioned in the book, the better leader you become, the better you are as a son to your parents, as a father or mother to your children, as a husband or wife to your mate. It just makes you a better person. And I feel like it made me a much better person throughout my life, all these different things. So the book does apply all the way around, it's, and, and I tried to write it that way. As far as change is concerned, I think what happens is there's a gross misunderstanding of leadership. You work in a, in a business, so let's just say it's an electrician or it's a bank, and you're doing this job, and you get to learn this job, and you know the job well, and you work along with your boss. He tells you what to do. He or she tells you what to do, whether whatever career it is. And then you become the boss. You get promoted to the boss. And you think that it's just the same thing. Oh, I'm still a banker. Oh, I'm still an electrician. You know, I'm still a plumber, whatever it is. But it's vastly different now. It's a completely different job. Yes, there's elements of you still have to know that same business you're doing. But now the whole world has opened up to you. You not only have to know the job that you had once before, but now you have to know everybody's job that's going on. 
you have to be able to handle helping them all in situations, watching for them as they need to excel and move up, mistakes that they're making, uh, things that they're doing right to help them, new directives and things that come down you have to put into play. There's a whole host of things. So I think people, we had zero training in my department. You One day you were a firefighter, you took a test. Oh yeah, scored good, good. Okay, now you're, here's, a, here's a badge. Now you'll attend it tomorrow. Okay, well, how do I handle this? How do I handle personnel conflicts? How do I handle when a person tells me no? So uh, I'm telling him, I need you to go do this. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, all the different things with the city that you have to deal with. How do I handle those things? Yeah, well, figure it out is kind of what we got. Um, so this vast change that happens. And I would say, like, if you were, let's say, a lawyer and you decided, I want to become a doctor. Hmm. You know, okay, you understand there's a massive change now. You have You can't practice a law when you're a doctor, you know, you can, the person walks in, I have a cold. Okay. Let's look at this precedent here. No, you, you, you have to be a doctor now. And, and I would say that might be a little bit of a jump, but that's the kind of change that you're making when you get into leadership, your roles went from this much to now this much, you know, and you're handling other people's lives. So I think once you understand that, you're going to take the time to get that um, training and understanding. And even once you get into the position, it doesn't matter how much training you have, you're going to look for mentors or others to try to help you progress from that point. Absolutely. I, I definitely think that the idea of leading and managing people couldn't be more different from the day-to-day of, of whatever the role you were working that got you to that place. Um, and it's it's so rarely talked about. So. So one of the things you describe in the opening of your book is the journey of becoming a great leader, having four distinct steps, and you compare it to to a trip, planning and preparation, then packing, then enjoying the journey, and then reflection. Can you unpack that metaphor a little bit? Sure, yeah. You know, I think in the book, I use a, a camping trip, but uh, my wife and I just celebrated our 30th anniversary, and we went to Europe for the first time in my Congratulations. life. I, I left the country. Thank you so much. So as if you're planning for a trip, let's say camping, it doesn't have to be Europe. Let's just use something a little bit more close to home. The first thing you do is plan it. You know, you look, okay, you find a campsite, you register that campsite. So you make sure you have, you don't just show up. You may not have a campsite if you just show up. Then you, um, you pre- prepare. So what's the temperature going to be? You know, uh, am I going to need uh, thick clothing? Am I going to just need short sleeve, short, short sleeve shirts? Imagine showing up with short sleeve shirts and it's 30 degrees out. You'll be miserable. It will be a terrible trip. And so then you pack the things that you're going to need. Uh, I need a, a jacket. I need firewood. I need these tools to help me start fires, to cook, you know, the stuff to have that. And, and any trip could be that way. And when you do it right, you do, you enjoy. That's the third thing. You enjoy the journey. You sit there and you really enjoy this vacation because now you've were prepared and you're planned and everything's working out. And then when it's all done, you reflect on it. Um, <clears throat> you sit back and for years you talk about the, and, and laugh about and joke about the things that went on on that trip, the joys that you had, the people that you were with. You look at pictures, you watch videos, and you reflect on that. And, and, it, and it brings that whole trip back to you. So the same thing as the journey I felt in the fire service. The first thing you do is you plan and you prepare. So you're getting into the fire service. Don't just run out there and get that job. First of all, understand what the job is about. Get get some knowledge of what a fire service or what the fire service is. 
or the fire. I'm not sure in every area if they do medical. Some areas, most areas do, some don't. But get to know what it is that you have to know. Do some schooling. Talk to some other firefighters. What do I need to do? How do I go about doing this? Um, what's it like to get promoted? Even if you're in the fire service and you say, I want to be a lieutenant or a captain or a chief, talk to those individuals in that area. What is the best thing that you like about your job? What is the worst part? How did you get training? What kind of mentors do you have? That's, that's planning and preparing yourself for that, those next steps along the way. And then I talk about packing. It's like you, you keep examining yourself over and over again. Make sure you have the right tools. Um, what deficits do I have? Uh, when I get in, I notice that that lieutenant has to deal with A, B, and C. Am I able to do that? Am I organized enough to be able to do that? I notice while we're watching TV, he's on the computer working. Am I diligent enough to do something like that? You know, he has to handle the situation when someone dies and we have, we're unable to bring them back. He has to be the one to go to the, the meet and say, I'm sorry, we weren't able to bring your loved one back. Can I do those things? How do I prepare myself to do that? Do I know all the tools on the engines, how to, how to use them on a scene? Can I handle an incident management system? If there's a big fire and I'm in charge of 15 fire engine crews and, and 10 truck crews and five rescue crews, can I do that? Have I practiced doing those things? And so that's how you're packing now. You're getting, and you're getting yourself ready. And when you do that, you will face the situation because of the fire service, Baron, nothing is ever the same. So you get a call for a fire. You can't just put the fire out the way you put the last fire out because it's very different. How much of the house is on fire? Is it closed off? Is it getting sufficient oxygen? Does it need to be ventilated? What kind of smoke is coming out of there? What's burning inside? On and on and on. So you have to evaluate every situation the way it is. Same thing with the medical part. So once you've done that planning and packing and you're ready for that, you'll be able to handle those situations so much better. You'll walk in and you'll be able to, you have all the tools at your hand. You, they're in your mind. You know what to use for what situation comes up. That's when you kind of enjoy the journey a little bit more. Now, I have to admit, I could have done better with that part. Um, I'm a bit intense. And if I see something I want, I'm like, I put everything into it. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's, there's no time for, for recreation. It's like, I, I'm missing this piece. And once I get to that piece, it's like, okay, I'm missing this piece now. And then, so I did enjoy, like, I have great friends I've made and we're still friends. And we used to, you know, crack up laughing when we were there and we'd eat together and cook great meals. And sometimes I did some very goofy things and dumb things, you know, just to have fun. And sometimes I shouldn't have done, but so I did enjoy it, but I would have to say, try to enjoy it more. Try to go into your job and enjoy it if you can, as much as you can. And then finally, you reflect on it. Even while you're there, reflect back on the things that you did, the good things, the good quality things. Um, I made some friends that are like my brothers and my sisters to this day. You know, I love them and I want to see them all the time. I can't because we're always so busy, but I wish I could see them all the time now. And I brought human life back to this earth. I, I, I had a child that was 18 years old that drowned in the ocean and we revived him. We brought him back to life and he's existing now because of me and my crew and wow. tons of other individuals. We either helped along the way, made their life significantly better or revived. I reflect on that and I find myself very blessed mm. and fortunate. Were there difficult things in the fire service? Without a doubt. Were there things that I wish never happened? Without a doubt. Politics and 
all kinds of things that make the fire service difficult like any job. But when you do it right, you get through it. It's a beautiful thing to look back and reflect on a wonderful career. I remember bumping into guys that, uh, you know, at the end of their career, they were so disgruntled over things. Interestingly, from the beginning of my career to the end, the computer really changed. I started in 1991. We had no emails. There was no internet at that time. There was nothing. You know, we went there. We were firefighters. We put out a fire and we wrote this handwritten report, threw it in there, and that was it. By the end of my career, everything you did was calculated on a computer. You couldn't walk five steps without a computer. We had pads on medical calls we were doing. Just steps like this really upset individuals, you know, especially older ones in the service. They're like, I'm never going to do a report on a, on a computer. But you're disgruntled and you're going to quit because you have to do a report on the computer? Do you realize the job that you have, how beautiful this job is? You're worried about, okay, I agree with you. It's annoying. It's a change. But you're no different than everyone else. Believe me, we do less on the computer than my wife and a, a million other people do. They're, they're strapped to that thing. But I saw individuals. I, one time we were at a beach and uh, we were doing some training and a guy comes up. We had to lift up the ladder truck and, and do a, a bit of a training on, on um, and this individual comes up from another, and we always had this firefighters from other country, other states rather would come down to Florida and they'd come to the firehouse and say hello. Cause there's a big brotherhood throughout the country. And this guy was what they call a truckie. Those are individuals that are on the long ladder trucks. So we were happy to be on that truck that day. And he comes up and he's like, yeah, I just left. And, uh, you know, I was just, it, just terrible at the end of my career. And we're like, well, what, what happened? And we used to pull in forward to get to the big buildings. So the, the ladder truck could go up 10 stories. Mm-hmm. It's like we used to pull forward in so we could get to the big buildings. And then we got a new chief on and they decided they wanted us to back in. So we were back in and lifted up and it just was ridiculous. And then blah, 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 blah. And I remember telling my guys afterwards, this guy's disgruntled because he went from forward to back. Who cares? <laughs> what difference does that make? The guy wants to make it back. Okay. I'll go back or sideways. If you want to make it sideways, who cares? But people will get fixated on some silly things. Reflect on the good things. Mm. You know, everything isn't great. There's no doubt about it. There's frustrations. But you do a wonderful job. If you really care about what you do, you'll be happy. Be happy with your friends that you're making in that fire service. Be happy with the service you're giving others. And then when you leave your career, you can look back like I do on my career. And I loved Mm. it. I wish I didn't leave. I wish I could have done 50 years in the fire service. And then this is my way of staying close in the fire service and helping as much as I can. Oh, well, change will always be difficult for humans. Um, yes. But one of my favorite kernels of what you just shared is is the idea that being in a leadership or management role is truly about being in service to your people. And the idea that it's not a stagnant place that you arrive at, but one that you continue to improve upon once you're Without there. Without a doubt. So Without a doubt. I hope more and more people look at... Uh, Look at their career as something that they want to be proud of at the end of their own personal journey. Yeah. Yeah. So you describe certain qualities and traits that distinguish a great leader. Uh, You mentioned strengths such as love, courage, never lying or losing control, being balanced, and loving discipline, courage, and humility. Um, And most importantly, you say that these can be learned. How did you land on these qualities, and, and what do you believe it takes to learn and adopt them? So, as I said earlier, I began to really watch other individuals in leadership positions, how they spoke, what they did, 
how their actions were reflected upon the crew and individuals. And I'll give you, I'll give you a small example. In my chat, I have a chapter on never lying. I don't believe in lying. It's sometimes it may be difficult. You get yourself in situations. It isn't easy to be truthful about situations without a doubt. But I tell you, it's just such a beautiful thing. You never lie. You have a reputation to never lie. People know they ask you a question. They're going to get the right answer one way or the other. But I would watch officers tell these lies. And everybody in the crew knew that they were lying, mm. you know, and all it did was make individuals lose respect for them. They didn't garner respect. They lost respect. You thought by, by telling this lie that you were going to save face, you know, that you were going to look better, but in reality, it went the opposite way. And so that was an easy lesson right there. And others that I watched others uh, do. And then I got a lot of them from books I read. I've read a couple of hundred books over the course of, it took me 15 years to write this book from start to finish. Uh, I probably started writing things before that. Um, and so I would dig out qualities and I would say, okay, this is a quality that is being said is an important quality in leadership. Let me see how I can apply it. Let me see if it really works. And, and I would do that. I would continually apply different things. And sometimes you come across books on leadership. Many of them are very similar, but sometimes you come across books and they'll tell you a certain thing and either it just doesn't work in the fire service or be honest with you. I don't think it works period as a leader. I, sometimes people say certain things and you're like, wow, I don't, I don't really see that as really a good leader. But um, so I would come across those things and that's how I would learn to try to put them in play. And then as I would put certain things in play, and I'll give you an example. When I was first promoted to officer, like I told you, I had no training whatsoever. I had no idea what I was doing. I made a huge mistake with my first uh, crew. I thought just being the nice guy was going to be, you know, the best thing to do. And I remember my dad, he was a New York City police officer. He was retired. And he told me, he said, son, you're an officer now. You have to separate yourself from the crew a little bit. You know, you can't be, you know, one of the guys. And I said, dad, maybe that works for the police department, but that's not the fire service. We're all a brotherhood and blah, 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 blah. And boy, did I eat those words. <laughs> and not, not, not that I separate myself, you know, and felt that I was better, but I did have to stop and pull myself back. There were certain things I couldn't be a part of. And so I thought just being a nice guy was the way to go. And I had a driver that just, he just had a problem with me as his officer because I was a very young officer mm -hmm. and he had been in the service like five or six or seven years longer than me. And he was significantly older than me. And he felt like, why am I listening to this guy? So he would do these crazy things on calls and cause disruptions and do these, you know, terrible things. And I would just try to talk to him and say, we can't do this. It's not the right thing. But it just kept getting worse and worse. And it wasn't until I realized, look, John, you have to take some action. You have to do some things here. And when I started taking some action, I went the wrong way a little bit too far one way. And so I had to learn uh, how to handle certain situations. But you mentioned humility. You asked me, how can you learn to put these into play? Humility. That's the key. When you're a humble person and a humble officer... As you said, the career service, and what I try to impress upon people is when you promote, you're not going up, you're really going down. And you promote again, you go further down. Mm. You're servicing more people. You're taking care of more people now. And I try to tell them, get used to the word servant. In America, we seem not to like that word that much. I'm not your servant. No, yeah, I am your servant. You're paying me to do that, and I'll gladly do it for you. 
It doesn't rob my dignity, and I'm not going to let you steal my rights from me. But you're asking me to do a job for you, and I'm going to do a great job. And I'm going to blow you away with the job I'm going to do. And I try to remind people that the American president serves at the behest of the people. No one would certainly think of him as a job that that's the greatest job there is. You know, this is a he has to take care of the whole world, not just us. So that's a fantastic job that he has. Yet it's a job of service. Mm -hmm. He serves the people that put him there. So when you have a humble attitude about it, it helps you do this. It helps you recognize, you know what? I made a mistake. I didn't handle that situation right with that person. First of all, let me figure out what I did wrong. You self-examine. You maybe talk to some peers, some mentors. What did I do wrong in the situation? They give you some advice. When you see the light, you go to that person. You know, I, I mishandled this. I didn't handle this right. I wasn't sure how to handle this. But from now on, this is the way we're going to do it. You know, it helps you put on all the qualities. You don't start thinking too much of yourself. You don't start thinking that you're above the position. You're above the fire service. I saw men and women do that who thought that they were above the fire service. You're not above the fire service. Inevitably, you get whacked. That's all that happens. You, you, you let your ego get out of control and it comes back and whacks you. So I would say humility helps you. You know, we were talking earlier about, you know, what you don't know. Wasn't it Socrates who said, all I know is I know nothing. Mm, I think that's you right. Know, here's a great, here's a great man who spent his entire life thinking and studying. And we today, thousands of years later, still go by some of his advice, you know, that was written out for us by Plato. And he's saying to people, all I know is that I know nothing. I have to continue learning. Mm. And that's what we all have to do. It doesn't matter how long you're doing it. Stay focused on continuing to self-examine and continuing to learn. And I think that's the key to uh, being able to continually be a good officer, an effective officer, excel. Hmm, beautiful. I love that. I think that the concept of servant leadership in general is one that should be more widely taught and studied and um, certainly practiced and embodied. Yeah, I agree. Do you believe that anyone can learn to be a great leader, truly? I do. This question came up once and I was stumped for a moment. Um, are leaders born or are they made? Mm. And my answer is this. This is what I, I believe. Just like in athletics, you see individuals, let's say a Tiger Woods, um, a Michael Jordan, individuals that are born with just such incredible talent that it cannot be taken away from them. Now, they still need significant training through the years to become that excellence in what they are. But then you see a host of other individuals that maybe weren't born with that much talent and they trained through the years and they became great. Now, they may not be Tiger Woods. They may not be Michael Jordan, but they still excel in their, in, to a degree. So that's what I feel about leadership. I think there are certain qualities, maybe like emotional intelligence and things like that, that some people may be born with that'll help them if they continue with the training to really get to a level of a general patent, you know, a uh, uh, George Washington, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, JFK, somebody that you could say, okay, this, this individual hit the top of the pinnacle. But even if you're not born with those things, if you have humility, yes, you, if you do enough training and you do enough study and work with yourself, I believe that anybody can become a very, very good, if not great leader. Hmm. Nice. What does it mean to you to invest in your people? And what do you believe uh, a business or, or really a leader um, owes to their employees? I think um, 
And I might be a little different with this. I'm not sure, but I think it's important investing in those that you lead or your employees, I think means you care about them. I have a whole chapter in my book that talks about show them that you care. And there's there's significant parts about that. It doesn't mean that you have to have dinner every night with them. It doesn't mean that, excuse me, you have to be best buds at all times. There's people I love to death. I barely get a chance to see them, you know, but when we see each other, we catch right up. It's like I'm talking to my lifelong friend, you know, the difference is when you care about somebody, you genuinely want them to succeed. Mm. You want the best for them. So let's just think of someone you care about in your life right now. You may not have seen them uh, in the last week or two or month, but if they called you up and they said they had this issue, you would be there for them in a moment, wouldn't you? And you, you would want to help them. And that's what I think it means to be a good officer, investing in my people. Okay. I have five in my crew. I want to see these five excel. What are your goals? What do you want to be? Some want to stay at the position they are. I want to be a driver, but I just want to be a great driver. You need that. You need great driver engineers. I want to be a firefighter, but I want to be a great firefighter. I want to be a chief of the department. Okay. You find their goals and you work with them to help them succeed. That's what I believe investing in them. They're going to want to come to the job. They're going to want to come to your employment. They're going to want to come to your crew. And I had many firefighters throughout my career towards the end um, asking constantly to come to my crew. It got to a point where I couldn't, it it almost became a detriment because I wanted to stay with people longer and they were kept, they kept rotating people in and out for me. Um, Was able to significantly help a crew. And after that, uh, they saw the turnaround on a bunch of people. They started sending me everybody that needed help. (laughs) Um, But, but my point is I think investing in them is showing them that you care the way that you care about people that you truly love. So I truly love this person. I want to help them. Now, this person's a part of my crew. I want to help them. I I don't know what size your family is. I have several siblings, two, two brothers, two sisters. And uh, so a pretty big family. Siblings are the closest people in the world to you. You grew up, you got the same blood, same mom and dad. But boy, oh boy, could you fight about things. And then you look at stuff and you're like, how could you and I come from the same mom and dad? I don't understand. How do you think that way? You know, but you still, even though there's, there's differences there, you'll do anything for them. And so if you have a crew of people, you look at them, you don't worry about their differences and the things that they see differently. And that's fine. That's okay. You care about them and you help them succeed. And guess what? When you care about people and you love people, they love you back. They care about you back. And that relationship just grows. So that's what I believe in investing in people. You know, there's many books and studies that have been written about companies that have done this. Like Southwest Airlines is an interesting one where he believed in investing in the employee, you know, and that they were, he he believed that the employee came first, not the customer. And he said, if the employee comes first, then they're going to put the customer first because they want to want that thing to succeed. Yet, despite the success that these companies have, you would think everybody would jump at that. Instead, you hear people laugh at it or, oh, I'm not going to put couches in my living room for these people to sit on or bean bags or whatever. I'm not going to give them lunch. You know, they go down the opposite road. But just looking at a study that shows you he's successful. Why would you emulate the success? It's, it's a strange thing. So I think investing in those that work for you, your crew, your job, whatever it is, if you own the business, it's just a win-win all the way around. Gosh, I couldn't agree more. I think that both Southwest and, I mean, other companies like Zappos are just beautiful case studies in, in the, the right. incredible engagement and enthusiasm that's unlocked when you show your people that you care about them. 
Exactly. Exactly. So I'm curious about the inverse. What do individuals owe their employer or the company they work for or the chief that they serve in your case? I think it's the same, Marin. You know, we have to give what we expect. And we can't can't walk through life expecting someone to treat me a certain way, but I get to treat you a different way. And so upon our employment, you want to do everything you can to care about the employer. You want to make them succeed. You want to help them to succeed, help them shine. Whatever your job is, I want my company to shine. I'm going to do the best I can. If I have customer interaction, certainly I'm going to go above and beyond so that then when they talk about my employer, when they talk about Southwest, when they talk about whoever my department is, they're going to say, wow, that's a great department. That's a great company. I want my company to succeed. Sometimes you don't get recognized and that's okay, but inevitably it always comes back to you. People see it and eventually it'll come back to you, but that's not necessarily the reason to do it. I just think we always have to do what we expect others to do for us. Set the example. If this is what you want, you might create a culture. You know, I was talking to my son the other day and we were talking about the culture of things and I was giving him the example of football. Are you familiar with football a little bit? Sure. So you know the New England the New England Patriots, right? I mean, I think they won six Super Bowls in the last decade or so, right? Sounds about right. When you go, yeah. So I was talking about in my book also that, that same thing about setting up a culture in your department of excellence. And it starts from the bottom, not just the top. You have to do that as well. When a football player goes to New England, I don't care how good he is. When he goes to New England Patriots, he knows he has to perform at a high level. He's got to go. You know, otherwise, if he doesn't perform at that high level, they're all going to look at him. So everyone comes in there and they know we're part of something real special. Now, there's other teams that you can look at. A team that I grew up liking, unfortunately, that's not very good. When members get on that team, they know they don't, they can goof off. Mm. You know, it doesn't, there's no, there's no culture of excellence. So be the example. Set that culture of excellence. I love my job. This employer gave me an opportunity to make money, to care for myself, my family, care for other individuals that might be in need that I can give to. Be happy about that. Gratitude has a, uh, an effect on your own happiness. You know, when you can see those points and you're grateful about that, it affects you as a person. On top of that, especially if you're a leader, if you're a manager, like middle management, you're not the owner of the business or you're not the chief of the, the thing. You're a lieutenant or captain or a manager in a, in a, in a business. Even more so do you owe it to your employer. First of all, you have to set an example. I, I've said in my book, if you want to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. You can't expect people are going to follow you. And then your boss walks in, tells you something and he walks out and you're, you're bad mouthing him behind your back, you know, behind his back. What do you think your crew is going to do to you when you give them a directive? You have to be able to be a good follower. On top of that, nobody promoted you to be a disgruntled employee. It, the, the owner of the business didn't promote you to management or the, the, the citizens of your town didn't promote you to lieutenant or captain so that you could be disgruntled and, and hurt employees. They want you to help the people excel. They want you to love the job. Why did you reach out for this promotion if you weren't going to love the job? You know, go back the other way. So you have to set an example that way. I think you owe to them what they owe to you. Mm. Now, you may not get that in some instances. And you may feel like it's time for me to move to another profession. There's no doubt about that. But I think 
you have to give that a try first. Give it all you have. You may be surprised at the swell, the ripple effect that you can cause in your company. Um, I think that's a really nice way of, of stating the reciprocal nature of the relationship and what we should strive for in terms of that. So, John, when it comes to people who aren't performing to the level that you would like or need them to, like one thing that many leaders struggle with is knowing when to invest in someone through additional training or extra time versus when to let them go, even if that means helping them find what might be right for them. What advice do you have for leaders here? And what are your thoughts on, on knowing the difference between when to go down one path versus the other? It's a very difficult it's a very difficult decision. And usually you, as the one-on-one -on -one person, have most of the information. Um, it's hard for someone else to come up and tell you it's time to let them go. Um, you're the one that's been dealing with it. But as a person that's in that situation, you have to ask yourself, did I give it everything I had for this individual? You know, did I sit down with the person and explain to them what I was looking for? What are the expectations that I have as a part of this crew that the fire department has of them or your business? What are the expectations? Do they even know the expectations? And then listen to what they have to say. Am I listening to their words or am I just saying this is it? Have I tried to set up goals with them and objectives to try to accomplish? Because one of the greatest things that leads to happiness is progress. When an individual feels like they're appreciated, in a business, and they're making progress, they're happy. And when an individual is happy, they want to come work for you. They'll do whatever you tell them to do. You know, you tell them, oh, climb up that ladder and jump on the roof, they're going to do it, you know, because they enjoy what they're doing. So are you setting goals for them? Are you helping them to achieve the goals, helping them to make progress? I think that's an important thing. And have you personally self-examined your relationship with them? Have I been a stumbling block for them? Have I truly helped them? Do I understand this situation? One of the things that makes America so unique around the world is that we're made up of people of all, from all over the world. So we grow up differently. Uh, our cultures are different. Our parents parent different. Uh, our tastes are different. Everything about us is different. Even in Florida, it's like a microcosm of the world because so many people from even the other states come down, you know, and, and are here. Have you taken a moment to understand that maybe they see things a little bit differently, or maybe they were raised to think this is the way you do certain things. I would say the, the, the key is on you personally, what kind of effort have you given into this individual? How much? And now with blinders on, Open your eyes, really listen to what's going on, really do some self-examination. How am I a part of this problem? Because you might find out that you may be a part of the reason why they're not excelling and they're not doing well. And the changes that you can make, I, I have to tell you, I discuss in my book, and I just mentioned it to you, a, I was sent to a crew. We had an officer who led the crew. I don't know what this guy was doing. I can't for the life of me figure it out to this day. They weren't responding to calls they were they were supposed to respond to. They weren't dressing up. They weren't shaving. Mm. They didn't have the uniforms on. And get, I mean, the fire department's like a paramilitary organization. There is no, oh, it's okay. No, that doesn't happen. If you were late by three seconds, you were late. 
It wasn't I was in the parking lot. No, you were late and that's it. You know, if you weren't shaved by eight o'clock, you weren't shaved and you, excuse me, you got written up. That, that was the end of it. So I was sent to this crew and these guys had done, they took the officers from there and moved them to my spot. And they put me with, with this crew. All these guys, we used to do whatever they wanted to do. My first day with that crew, I walk up, <clears throat> it's eight o'clock, it's eight ten, and I see one of my firefighters in the hallway and he's not dressed up. And he hasn't shaved yet. He's t in street clothes and he's talking to another firefighter. And I'm thinking, well, maybe he's not working today because sometimes the schedules would change before the, the thing started. People would go home sick or they would swap sure. real quick and you didn't get the latest, uh, thing. So I, I went and I checked and he was on and I said to him, I said, so and so are you, you know, you're scheduled on today. And he's like, yeah, 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 I'm on. I'm like, well, is your gear on? You're not in uniform. And it, he gives me attitude. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, listen, you need to go get changed right now, get cleaned up, put your uniform on, and put your gear on right away. He goes up to the second floor where the locker rooms were to change, comes down an hour later. I'm like, you got to be wow. kidding me. What is going on here? So I had a meeting right away, that first thing, and these guys are all yelling and screaming at me. You know, and I, and I, all I did was lay out the things. Listen, from here on in at eight o'clock, all your gear will be on the unit. You will be in your proper uniform and you will be clean shaven, ready to work. Cause that's what the fire department expects of you. When you signed yes to that job, they told you these were the rules and you agreed to that. These people start flipping out and yelling and screaming at me. And it was like that. We had a station meeting every day for several months and it was the same thing yelling at me. They would, they wouldn't eat a meal with me. Um, if they were sitting watching TV and I walked into the room, they'd all shut the TV, get up and walk away. They were ignoring me. And it wasn't easy. Yeah. But I thought to myself, you know, I, it's obvious they don't love their job. You know, they don't even know their job. These guys were terrible at what they were doing. Mm. I said, I'm going to train them. I'm going to give them an opportunity. And I said to these guys, just give me an opportunity to help you love the job again. And I did. I worked with them. We went out and trained Marin. In Florida, it's hot here in the summertime. And when you put bunker gear on, fire bunker gear, it's like you're in a sauna. Mm -hmm. And we were going and training every shift throughout the entire summer. We trained over and over and over again. <clears throat> and by the time we were halfway done, I saw a difference. These guys really started loving what they were doing again. Mm -hmm. They were excited to come to work. Now, several of them left. They, were, they begged the chief over and over again, and they, they were out. One individual who was, he had like two years on the job and he was in, in the screaming things. He was telling me how I, I didn't know how to be a good officer. He was barely a firefighter. He's telling me how to be an officer. But, you know, I was like, look, just give me an opportunity. I'm going to show you this, that, and the other thing. He was able to get him moved out, self moved out to a, like a floating position where he moved around because he was still fairly new. So after I got that crew, I mean, they loved what we're doing. And, and I have to tell you, that became my favorite crew I ever worked mm -hmm. with. They made me miserable and it became my favorite crew because we loved coming in. We trained, we knew our job. All of a sudden, like 50, 60% of the other department wanted to come train with us mm -hmm. constantly. When are you guys going to train again? Can we come off duty? Can we come training? Can we do this? And guys were showing up to come train with us and get the stuff done. And we would just have a blast. We'd have so much fun together, you know, doing it. The one guy that told me I didn't know how to be a good officer, um, one of my crew members got promoted to a position. 
uh, a training position and which was crazy because he was not doing anything before, but now we were doing so much that the chief saw that our crew was constantly training. We knew what we were doing. So he got taken from me and promoted to a training position. So I got a chance to get a new guy and I had asked for this other individual that had a very bad reputation that I had worked with before that I thought was very different. I thought he was a very good person. He just got off on the wrong foot with an officer and my boss, my battalion chief was like, why on earth do you want this guy? He's got a terrible reputation. And I said, just give him to me, please. I promise you he's not who you think he is and, and we'll turn him around. He'll, he'll, you know, he'll be a fantastic part. So he agreed. He said, I'll let you have him. And if you have any problems, we'll take him out of here in no time because I don't want him poisoning the crew. Said, don't worry about it. He came. He dove right in. He loved it. Loved the guy to this day. He's fantastic. One of the best firefighters we has. And that other individual that, that swapped out, he came to me and he said to me, he pulled me over on a call and he literally started crying hmm. and with tears. And he said, I don't understand. Why didn't you ask for me? Oh. And I said, but I, I don't understand. You gave me such a hard time for several months. You, you didn't want, you, you went behind my back to the chief and badmouthed me. You were yelling and screaming at me at calls on, on, on meetings. You, you know, you ignored me, you stonewalled me, and then you asked to be moved out. Why would I think that to have you back? But I felt terrible. Here's a man crying. You know, he wanted to be a part mm -hmm. of the crew. And I said, listen, I promise you. If I have to move again, if I have another position, I'll ask to have you come back. You know, as long as you're willing to put in the effort that these other individuals are willing to put in. Marin, I tell you, that was a, one of the biggest things in my career. I was miserable for several months. I mean, they, they made me feel like garbage, you know, um, but turning them around and, and one or two of them are still there at the department and they're in high positions now. Hmm. And knowing that I had that effect on them. And then it became that they, my bosses started sending me one after another. And it was like, all of a sudden, okay, we're moving this one out. Now here's this next one. who has got an attitude problem. Um, it just, if you can do that for somebody, so you're given a position, a person, and you're saying to yourself by, by your question, is it time to let this person go? Or is it time to give them more work? Really sit down and reflect. Have I given them all the effort that I can give them? Have I spoke with them? Have I listened to what their situation is? Why they feel the way they do? Have I set goals out for them and objectives and work with them to make progress? Have I done everything I can? Am I missing something? Am I blocking something in my own viewpoint? Because if you really can turn that person around, you would be surprised. First of all, they're going to excel, but the feeling it gives for you is unbelievable. I love what I did for these individuals. It's one of the highlights of my career. I know I affect them, their families. Some of these individuals may have left the department because they were so disgruntled at the time, yeah. you know? And once that got moved out, started seeing how much we were doing and, and how much we were enjoying. And then they started to try doing their own type of training and stuff like that. And then other officers started emulating and doing, do so you really have a tremendous effect? So that's what I would say. Don't give up on the person just yet. Make sure you've done everything you possibly can. Give them an opportunity to speak and hear what is causing them to be the way they are. Hmm. Well, John, what a testament to your leadership skills and abilities to become known as the person who can help turn around um, underperformers or help folks find a love in their job if they maybe lost that. It's not easy to be the bad guy. You know, I'm sure that those were very no, trying no. months. 
And I also believe that people respond very well to clarity of expectations and yes. and discipline, especially when it's um, coupled with care. So Yes. Black and white, I found out, works best. When I had officers, you know, you get switched to different officers all the time. This person likes it this way. This person likes it this way. Then they don't even tell you, I wanted you to do this or I wanted you to do that. Look, when I meet with someone for the first time, either if I'm going to the crew or they come to my crew, the very first thing I do is I meet with them and I lay out expectations. Mm. And it's black and white for everybody. Everyone's treated the same way. Everyone's treated, this is the rules because this is what the fire department says. You know that because you were hired here. I agree with you. Clarity of expectation makes it so much easier for them. Mm. Um, Let me interrupt our our conversation here. Do you have a hard stop in one minute or can you? Okay, you can go a few minutes over. Okay, good. I, yeah, I, as long as I you promise like. I won't take you for more than 10 or 15 minutes because I, I know talk. it's Friday evening. I could talk. I love it. I'm loving yeah, your no, no, stories. No. <laughs> no, thank you. I'm enjoying it too. So I, I have to tell you, this has been such an incredible experience for me. I love the fire service. I love meeting people like yourself that are trying to make a great impact mm-hmm. in the country. It's been, it's, I, I, it's a blessing like I can't even explain. So you have me as long as you like me. Thank you. Um, so, John, I'm really curious. You you included uh, a couple mentions of something in your book that I found fascinating. And I think that America's at this really fa- um, fascinating moment, really much of the world is at this fascinating moment where the workforce is made up of multiple generations that grew up in very different realities. You know, what it the life that someone has led if they're 35 looks pretty different than the life that someone who is 70 has led. And, and you spoke to the, the changes that some of the older folks in the fire service experienced and how frustrating they were. So you talked about the assumptions and biases that people have a tendency to make, or at the very least echo, about entire generations. And I appreciate the curiosity that you brought to that and the observations you share about how folks older than you said similar things when you were younger. Um, I think that there's wisdom about biases in general there. What made you include this in your book? You no, know, Martin, I, I saw it way too often. You know, when I got hired, I told you I was 21 years old. So every every new officer I went to was like, oh, you're part of the me first generation. <laughs> you're the selfish generation. You're the lazy generation. And I was like, you know, I walk around going, wow, I must be selfish, lazy, care about myself. You know, that every word you could imagine is the drive through generation. Like you expect everything right now. And, and then after some years went by and I got a little older and younger ones started to come on, I heard these same people saying the same thing about them. They're the me generation. They're, 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 they want everything right now. They've been coddled and blah, 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 blah. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, something's wrong here. You know, how could this be? They said this about me and I wasn't that way. I'd, I'd have a guy tell me I was lazy. <laughs> we worked 24 hours. I'd put like 20 hours of work and he'd put about three and he's calling me lazy. Mm. I'm like, what, what, what world do you live in? But I just saw the detriment of that. I felt like they never gave me a chance. Help me. Yeah. I made mistakes. Yeah. I did things that at times made me seem maybe I was lazy. I don't know. Uh, I did things that were goofy and dumb at times. I was a kid. What do you expect from children? You know, I, you, you can't expect them to come in and act like a 52 year old firefighter. I was 21. And so I think whenever you judge somebody, you put them in a box, whether it's from the generation that they come from, what background that they have, what sexual orientation, what color their skin is, what doesn't matter. You suddenly put them in a box that they can't get out of. Mm-hmm. 
before they opened their mouth and said a word, you've already nailed them down as to what they are. They're lazy. They're no good. They've been coddled. Blah, 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 blah. You know, they're not going to be able to handle this, that. Instead, your job is to take these things. Yes, a 21-year-old kid is naive. They don't know much about the world. They don't know much about work expectation. Without a doubt, you take that person and you mold them into something special. Because what that kid does have is he's got exorbitant amount of energy. And if you treat that person right, they're going to do anything you ask them to do. So you really have a great opportunity to mold them. You know, there's a lot of studies out there that talk about expectations, that people live up to the expectations that they're given. Mm. With my children, I always try to tell them, mom and I expect you to get A's. You know, now, if they didn't come home with A's, I wasn't going to browbeat them over the head with it. But we set expectations high, and they wanted to fulfill those expectations. And that's what people do. You tell somebody over and over again, you're lazy, you're lazy. And everywhere he goes, he finds out he's lazy. Guess what? He's going to be lazy. Yeah. He's going to act lazy. He's going to think he's lazy. And the reason why I know that is because there's all kinds of studies out there that show that. Mm -hmm. When you tell people they're stupid, they don't perform academically. When you tell them they're real smart, they suddenly are able to perform very well. It's a it's very dynamic issue that we have with humanity. Do so you have these people come in? Don't tell them they're lazy. Mm -hmm. Don't tell them they've been coddled. You help them to succeed. You help them to excel. You, there's such incredible talent out there. These young people today, I mentioned some of this in the book. Yeah, they had it better than we did. Okay, yeah, they had a cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone. They had some extra money. I didn't grow up with the kind of money they had today. But you know what else they have? Massive debt. Mm. Massive debt. College debt like you can't even believe. They can't buy houses. I bought my first house when I was 21 years old. Oof. They can't go out there and buy a house. We need to have a little bit of empathy for some of these people. And look, when I when I was growing up, the news came on at five, at six o'clock, half hour the local news, six thirty, the national news, the world news came on half, and that was it. Next was Happy Days, Laverna Shirley, whatever else you know on the five channels we had growing up. These poor kids. They're bombarded 24-7 yeah. with every single thing. A flood happened in Korea. An earthquake happened in Iran. Uh, Italy, the people are dying from COVID. It, it just, it's just constant negative bombardment for these, these poor kids. So we have to have a bit of empathy. It doesn't mean we let them get away with whatever we want to get away with. No, but your job as the leader is to lead, is to mold, is to help them. You know, I think it was Michelangelo that uh, the statue of David, right? He said uh, this incredibly beautiful statue. And I was just in Italy, so I got to see these incredible. It's unbelievable what they were able to do. He says that the, the statue was there already. Mm. He just had to chisel it out of the marble. And that's it with every employee that comes on. They are a raw talent. It's your job to form them into the David or be the Michelangelo and make them into a masterpiece. Yes, they're different than you. Okay, great. That's wonderful. Now, take that difference and prove that you're a leader and make that person into somebody that excels. And that's why I wanted to include it in there. I even, I even have a, uh, an excerpt from a leadership book in my book that I was ultimately shocked at when I read. The person wrote in like, uh, the people today are, I forget what it was, or something like they expected, uh, they want to make an impact and, uh, they expect to be a part of the job. 
Okay, what's wrong with wanting to make an impact? Yeah, that's a good thing. I want that. I want a person that wants to make an impact. Okay, this is how you want to make an impact. Let's do it. Let's go out there and make an impact on people's lives. I was utterly shocked. But so people are still being trained this way, to think this way. And so that's why I wanted to include that in my book. Try to look, uh, take a step out of of the norm and understand you were the same thing. Mm -hmm. They said the same things about you. You know, uh, if you think you were some dynamo that came in, and, you know, you were the LeBron James of the fire department that came in and suddenly everybody was rallying around you. You know, that doesn't happen. Make them the LeBron James. Yeah. You have that opportunity. Oh, what a beautiful reminder that so much of leadership is truly about lifting people up. So I'm sure a lot of people will listen to this interview and say, oh, it's, you know, it's it, it must be easy to feel like you're working in service of others if you're a, you know, firefighter. Um but I'm curious, John, do you believe that every job can be done from a place of, of acting in service to others? Is that a mentality? I do. I do, actually. And I'm laughing because I think of uh, something. I We used to go on vacation to New York in the wintertime a lot. I, I love the cool weather, and I'm from there originally. And so we'd take my kids, and we'd stay at my aunt's house. And we always hoped for snow. Mm -hmm. And Every so often we would get snow. And one of the things we did for my aunt is we would shovel her driveway completely clear and her walkways and stuff. And I used to drive my kids crazy because I, I wanted every snowflake off that driveway. <laughs> I mean, we went, there wasn't a path. There wasn't a, a snowflake on the driveway. And that's how I grew up. When I went out there, my dad would go to work. I My whole front in the Brooklyn was all done. It was cleared out. I mean, you drove down a block, there was snow everywhere except for this one house. You're like, <laughs> was there an umbrella over this house? There's not a drop of snow here. And my kids would go crazy like, Dad, it's not a big deal. And I was like, yes, it is. Whenever you do something, do it 100%. You know, do it the right way. And, yes, there's industries like the fire department or nurses or military police that you do have direct impact. There's no doubt about that. Every move you make has a direct impact on somebody. Excuse me. And then you might have other careers that aren't as direct. Now, I was thinking, for example, let's say a waiter or a waitress, Right. Now, their job is to bring the food, right, to take the order and bring the food. And you might say, well, they're probably doing something else to get to a different career. You know, there's not a lot to that other than the physical part. But you ever gone to a restaurant and had a really good experience with a waiter or waitress? They brought your meal to you. They had a smile on their face. They asked you how your day was going. And especially if you weren't doing good that day, how many people leave a big tip and say, you know what? I was having a terrible day but you made my day shine. Mm -hmm. Seeing the effectiveness and how much love you put into serving us that day really changed my outlook on this day. And I want to do a better job myself. And I think, excuse me, I think that's a key. When you shine, no matter what it is you're doing, you excel at it. You set an example for others. People see it. They see your love for what you're doing. This crazy guy's out there. It's pitch black. He's still shoveling the snow. The next day they wake up. Oh my God, it's pristine. You know what? I want to do a job like that. You know, I want to excel. I, I want to do something like that with what I love doing. So I think, yes, no matter what you do, your example is a service to others. Because when you show people that doing excellence is what you do, they want to, they want to emulate it. They want to do the same thing. Hmm. Beautiful reminder. So, John, I love to close all of my interviews with a few questions that are meant to just be answered kind of quickly, whatever comes to mind. Sure. So what is something that you learned or realized during the pandemic that has impacted your worldview? Spend more time with my family. Oh, yes. You know, I'm 
very sad for the things, the negative effects that we had. But boy, that was a, it was an eye opening experience being together more. I have a tendency to be, I love what I do. So I could work a lot. I could work from morning till deep into the hours and, and, and still be happy about it and do it the next day. But I would say, stop and smell the roses. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really enjoyable. Show those ones you love that you love them. Spend more time together. That's what I got from that. Beautiful answer. So important right now. What's the most important leadership advice you've ever been given? Be humble. Don't ever think too much of yourself. Um, humility opens the door to everything. It makes you a better person and it really draws people to you. Who's an individual or leader you deeply respect and admire? In the fire service, uh, very early on, I came to know a chief named Chief Alan Brusini. He was the chief of the Phoenix Fire Department. He really was a trendsetter in the fire service. He was heavy on customer service, which is what I believe in and love. I have a whole chapter on that uh, section in my book. So he really was inspiring to me. But outside the fire service, I really love the examples of John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, and Martin Luther King Jr., I really look to them a lot. I think about them a lot. I read over and over again their memoirs and books, and I try to emulate as much as I can. I love those those three men. Beautiful answer. So what are you reading, listening to, and or watching right now? So um, each day I try to read a little bit of the Bible, and I read the Wall Street Journal each day. So or I try to. Those are the two I try to. Then I have a goal each year to read 30 to 36 books a year. Mm-hmm. And at any given time, I'm reading about four or five books uh, at the same time. So right now I'm in a book called Lords of Finance. It's uh, The Bankers That Broke the World. Fantastic book. Oh, excellent. I rec- highly recommend it. Um, How Legendary Speakers Speak, I'm reading. Um, and Hitch, uh, Hitch 22. It's a memoir of uh, Christopher Hitchens, his memoir. Um which might sound contradictory since I'm a Bible reader, but I really like to hear both sides of the story. You know, he's, a, he's an intellect, and I, I love to read his writings. I, I wish uh, he did not pass away, but um, he's an individual that I, I enjoy listening to and reading. And I'm, I'm reading a book on PTSD, so I'm, I'm writing a book on PTSD right now, a secondary book, PTSD in the Fire Service. So I always keep at least one book on research that I'm, as I'm reading that I do. And I listen to tons of podcasts. I enjoyed listening to a bunch of your podcasts, uh, before we spoke. And, um, so there's so many good people out there trying to make a difference. So I try to listen as much as I possibly can. So that's, that's what I'm doing. Well, those are great recommendations. And I, I love the reminder of the importance of diversity of perspective. Yeah. And then one to close with, life feels turbulent and stressful in many ways these days, but I'm curious about what's giving you hope. Humanity, Marin, you know, and uh, faith, my faith in God, my faith in good people um, and love. Love is just such an incredible quality. But when I meet people like you, you know, uh, and I've been able to, I've been blessed to meet a bunch of people since promoting this book, who are trying to make a difference in our society to better. I have faith, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of good people out there and they want to make a difference. And look at this younger generation, look at them. You talk to these individuals and what is their big concern? They want everyone to be treated kindly and equally, right? I mean, what can you ask for anything better? Honestly, I mean, they, 
this is the people that are going to lead when you and I are older, you know, ones that want individuals to be treated kindly, respectfully, and with love. So my faith in all those things really makes me feel like we're going to get through this. I, I like to tell my kids that uh, America's a baby, you know, in the world. We're only 250 or so years old, you know, we're just a baby. Countries are thousands of years old out there. So I tell them, we're just going through puberty. You know, puberty is a crazy time in someone's life. You don't know what's going on. Half the time you can't figure out your hormones are going crazy. You do crazy things. You're like, why did I do that? You know, you know, what was I thinking when I did that? And that's where we are in America. I think we're in puberty and we're, we're trying to figure it out and we're getting there. Mm. Things are so much better than they were. You know, the rights of individuals are, are so much stronger and better than they were even 50 years ago. So I feel like we're getting there and I have to try to keep looking at the positives and, and faith in humanity. And I just feel God will take care of us. Mm. I love that answer too. John, thank you so much for your time. This has been a wonderful conversation. So many important gems about how to be a great leader. Leadership Refined by Fire. If our, if our listeners want to find your book, where can they find it? Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, anywhere you get normal books, uh, you can go to. You can also go to my website, which will just take you back to Amazon. But I'd love to hear feedback from people if they want to go to my website, which is www.fdleadership.com, which is like firedepartmentleadership.com. Um, so if you <clears throat> enjoyed something from the book or you had a question with something, please feel free to reach out. I, I love talking to people and I love to get to know people and and I really appreciate this opportunity you gave me. I'm happy to meet you. I hope that we uh, stay connected in the future. I really uh, appreciate your time that you've given me. Oh, you too, John. Thank you so much. And we'll, of course, include all those links in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Take care. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation. If you want to learn more about John Cuomo and his book, Leadership Refined by Fire, check out his website, fdleadership.com. And as always, you can find this link and more in the show notes. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Purpose Works. If you want to check out additional episodes, you can find them at podcast.handprint.io. If you enjoy the show, we invite you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, take care, do good, and join me next week for another candid conversation about using business as a path towards a more just and sustainable future. Peace. Thank you.